Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here and we're so glad that second edition from Lee University has been here. Man, what an awesome group. I'll tell you, I love it when we get to connect with um, students at Lee. It is such an inspiring place and uh, I'm just proud of what you're doing and, and thanks for coming to the creek. Um, and thank you for coming to the creek. If you're new to Stevens Creek, welcome. My name is Marty Baker and we're, we're just really glad that you're here. I'd like to start off with something funny. Did you hear about the, the wealthy guy that was known for being somewhat eccentric? I mean, he was having a big backyard party uh, at his house and he took his swimming pool and he filled his swimming pool up with sharks and alligators. And then he looked at the crowd and he said, which one of you will jump in and swim the length? And to that person, I'll give anything that you want. Of course, nobody did anything. They just stood there and then they heard a big splash and they looked down and there's this guy swimming 90 to nothing, dodging alligators and dodging sharks. And he finally got to the end of the pool and he got out and he's shaking. And the guy said, I have never seen anybody as brave as you. And this eccentric said, just tell me, I'll give you anything you want. You can have it. He said, well, this is what I want. I want the name of the person who pushed me in. Well, I feel like probably some of you, if you're new to the creek, you may feel like you've been pushed into something. Well, I just want you to come back next week. I believe you'll find a place here at Stevens Creek that will help you uh, really connect with Christ and take your next step. We're in the third week of our series called Games People Play. How many of you like to play board games? Uh, we, uh, the Baker family, we like to do this. Probably don't do it enough, but this past week, we Patty and I stayed up past our bedtime playing uh, cards with our, our two sons. And uh, we love the strategy. We love the competition. Uh, we love that. So I want you to be here tonight at 6 p.m. And we're going to have a great time. How many of you ever played the, uh, the game Taboo? Anybody ever played Taboo? Taboo is one of those uh, games that's similar to catchphrase in which a player uh, tries to get his teammates to guess a phrase using some verbal cues. Of course, there are certain things that are off limits. They're taboo. There are certain phrases uh, that are taboo. And if they say one of those phrases, one of those restricted phrases, then another player will, will, will uh, buzz them. And you'll, I think probably the funnest part of the game is not necessarily the cards and the shouting, but the buzzing. Now, wouldn't it be interesting in life if we had a buzzer that would go off right before we said something or did something that was taboo that we didn't need to stay away from. Wouldn't it be interesting if there was a, and we said, okay, we don't need to go there. For instance, can you imagine tomorrow you're at work and you're in this conversation in the workroom, uh, getting a cup of coffee and you're tempted to go down this road here. And then you hear, and you say, okay. And you just speak positive and everything's great. Or what if you're at work this week and you've got to turn in your expense report 
And you are tempted to pad that report. But then you hear, and then you put down accurate numbers. I'll tell you, we, it would be nice to have a buzzer there to keep us on the straight and narrow because all of us have challenges. We all have temptations. We all have struggles. Here's the point. Everyone struggles with something. Everyone struggles with something. Everyone in this room, if you'd like to admit it or not, you struggle. Some of you struggle with negative thoughts, that those negative thoughts come into your mind and uh, they war against uh, you in, in unique and interesting ways. Some of you struggle with just your words that you speak, not the words spoken to you, but the words that you speak. It seems like that when you speak them, there's a harshness there. There's an anger there. Other people struggle with a web of deception. They have lived in uh, deception so long that they don't even know the truth anymore. That their world of deception has become their truth. You know, all of us struggle with something. And so often our struggles center around decisions that we've made that have taken us down the wrong path. And we have broken the heart of God. And we have been separated from the Lord. And there's nothing more serious than the brokenness and the separation from God that the Bible calls sin. And over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about how it played out in the life of David. And his story is told in the Old Testament. King David was a man after God's own heart. But in this episode of his life, we see a very different side of David. In fact, his actions were some of the most taboo actions that one could imagine. Because here this man, who is a, a man after God's own heart, had an adulterous affair with a lady named Bathsheba. And when we think about that, I'm sure some of us are wondering, how could that happen? I'm like, Come on. I mean, here's this man uh, after God's own heart. How could this happen? I mean, when we hear people have scandalous sins that come out uh, that have rejected God, we say, oh, yeah, he rejected God. That's why we get that. But this is David. This is David, the guy who wrote the 23rd Psalm. You know that one, don't you? The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He wrote that. This is David, the one that had the power of God that come on his life. And gave him the ability to defeat Goliath the giant. This is David. This is the one that when the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, when it came through town, he danced with uh, all of his might before the Lord because he had such a love and, and respect for the Lord. How could this happen? How could he fall prey to lust and coveting and deceit and adultery and murder? How could it happen? Let me ask the question a different way. Who in this room is so certain that you are so much more spiritual than David than what happened to him could not happen to you? 
Who in this room is that spiritual? You see, in church, we're, we're so tempted to divide sin into two categories. We have this category called acceptable sins. Because, you know, we say, oh, yeah, everybody sins. Everybody makes mistakes. Those are the acceptable ones. And then we have those that are the scandalous sins. Now, you can live over here in the acceptable category, but don't ever go over in the scandalous category because it'll cost you something. But, you know, when God looks at sin, God doesn't rank sins. God looks at sin and calls it what it is. It's missing the mark. And so we understand when we look at the story of David and we look at our own lives that every one of us struggles with something. There are no perfect people in this auditorium today. There's no perfect people watching online. Every one of us, we struggle. In fact, Paul said it this way. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall. In David's story, I believe as we unpack that, you'll see four crossroads, four defining moments in his life. And I believe that we can learn from those crossroads that David dealt with. Now, the interesting thing, David just blew past three of them. He didn't listen to any kind of warning signs that were coming his way. So let's pick up the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it said, In the spring, at the time when the kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the uh, Ammonites and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Just notice that. In the spring of the year, David remained in Jerusalem. Next verse. Now, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And this woman was very beautiful. And David sent. Now, notice this word right here, sent. It's very interesting. You'll see this word several times in these verses. Now, David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, hey, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab? The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and she slept with him. And then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, that's the beginning of the story. Like I said, there are four crossroads in David's life. And here's the very first one. The starting point, you can fill in the blank. The starting point towards sin is a spiritual drift. The starting point towards sin is spiritual drift. Now, Patty and I have been in Edison Beach over the last several days. um, And I've always enjoyed the beach, especially like in the water, in the ocean, riding the waves. And so this year we had uh, our two grandsons, Forrest and Summit, uh, with us out in the ocean. And uh, it was fun. Now, Summit is three years old, and, and he was just, I want to go to the ocean. I want to go. And we'd go out there, and we'd ride those waves. And he said, he said, Peppy, I want to live here forever. I want to live here forever. 
And so we laughed and laughed at that. But he just loved that. You know, have you ever noticed that when you're swimming in the ocean that you tend to drift? I mean, the, the current takes you from where the place that you got in. And before you know it, you're way down, down shore. You're thinking like, where's, where's my chairs? I mean, who moved my chairs? Who moved the condo? I mean, because our, our reference point of where we got in has been changed because we have drifted down shore. The current of the day has a tendency to take you away from where you get in and where you need to be. Have you ever noticed that people don't drift toward a deeper relationship with God? They drift toward compromise and then they call it tolerance. Or, or they, they drift toward disobedience, but then they call it, well, I'm free. And in the first verse, we see that David begins to drift. In the spring, when ten kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. The kings go off to war. David remained in Jerusalem. You see, battles were fought in the spring of the year. But this particular year, David thought, said, I don't want to go. I don't, in fact, I don't have to go and I'm going to let them go without me. And this was part of what it meant to be a king. If you're going to be a king, you're going to lead the army into battle. In the spring of the year when kings go off to war. Some scholars feel like there's something of significance going on in David's life. And the writer here is trying to cue us in. And we can start to, to read between the lines here. It was generally believed that David was about 50 years old at this point. Now we know that 50 years old is not an old man, right? Right? It's not an old man, but neither was David the, the golden boy that he used to be. Women didn't, they, they didn't look at him like they used to look at him. And that kind of upset him. He started using some, some Rogaine, started working out, wanted to get a track put in the, the palace, talked to the chef, got a little Metamucil put in the diet. That's right. Well, what did David want? I don't think he knew. I don't think David really knew what he wanted. I think he wanted to feel young. I think he wanted to feel alive. I think he wanted to feel vital. I think that uh, he was restless and he was lonely and he was a little bored. So he decided to stay at home. But apparently he didn't talk to God about this decision. He didn't go to God and say, God, I, I think I'm going to stay home. I'm thinking something's going on inside. No, he just, he decided that he had figured out his life on his own and that he's got it all under control. Instead of going to God, David drifted. I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was lonely. Maybe he was bored. Maybe he, he needed a new challenge. Maybe he needed a new, uh, uh, deeper experience of God's spirit. But instead of going to God, he drifts. He stays at home. Let's pause for a moment right here. Maybe some of you are there. 
And you may not be 50. You may be 18. But you're feeling a little bored and you're feeling a little restless and you're feeling a little empty on the inside. And everything that everybody told you to do, you have done that and you still have these feelings. You're not sure why. But there's a drift factor in your life. And I would say to you, be careful, be careful, be careful, because you are at a very dangerous place in your life. And I just want to encourage you, once you go to God and pour out your heart to him and say, God, I need help. God, I feel empty. I feel tired. I feel lonely. God, whatever that is, just tell God what's going on. You see, David doesn't do that. He doesn't go to God in prayer. Instead, David sent someone to find out about her. Okay, here's the problem. Because when David sent, verse 3, when David sent someone to find out, he took a temptation, and we all have temptations, and there's nothing wrong with being tempted. But he moved that temptation from the realm of temptation to action. David sent someone. Here's the point. Fill in the blanks. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has been deliberately left open. Temptation in your life usually comes in through a door that has been deliberately left open. It was the spring of the year when kings went off to war. David remained in Jerusalem. He left the door open. And now he's making plans. And some of you are saying, well, what's up with Bathsheba? I mean, doesn't it take two to tango here? There's nothing in this text that indicates, uh, that indicts her. Most likely, she was just doing what she normally would do. Because you've got to think about their world. They would collect water in big containers. Through the, uh, the heat of the day, that water would uh, warm up. And so it was customary for them to take a bath in late afternoon when the water was warm. The men were off in, at war because it was the spring of the year. And so Bathsheba was just doing what uh, she normally would do. So the Bible doesn't indicate that it was any of her issues there. And David starts to treat her as an object in this story. And there's no mention about how she felt. There's no mention about uh, what she says or what is said to her. She is just something to be used by David in this story. Here's the second thing. I said there's four. Here's number two. When you veer off course with God, I believe that God will provide a spiritual warning light. When you veer off course with God, I believe that God will. He said, watch out. Don't go there. Don't go there. Watch out. And I think David had a warning light here. The servant said, David, isn't this the daughter of Eliam? 
isn't this somebody's little girl? Isn't this Eliam's daughter? Now, David, isn't this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, what are you thinking? What are you doing? This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's wife. But David just presses on. You see, they are buzzing. This man is buzzing. Don't go there. This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's wife. But David presses through. See, in life, we have an opportunity to make some decisions and we're just riding right along. Then we come to one of these, a traffic light. Now, this can be somewhat confusing sometimes, but it's very, very clear most of the time. What am I talking about? When you see this light here and it turns red, what do you do? Stop, right? Very clear. Red light means stop. How about this green light down here? When this green light happens, what do you do? You go. Very clear. You go. But there's a dangerous light in this setup. Very dangerous. It's called the yellow light, the caution light. Now, what do you do when this light comes on? Yep. You see, in my world, I slam on the brakes. In my wife's world, she says that is an encouragement to press the accelerator and to go flying through that light. And sometimes it is even on red. But it started out, she said, on yellow. That was a yellow light, not a red light. What do you call this? This is called a caution light, right? A caution light. It is so important that we understand caution lights, spiritual warning lights, where the Holy Spirit comes and don't go through, don't go there, don't go there. David just pressed on through though. He just pressed on through. Verse 4 said, Then David sent messengers to get her. He's not sending for information here. He's sending for the woman. And he uses his power to get what he wanted. And so up until this point in the story, everything works the way David wants it to work. He sees, he wants, he inquires, he finds out. He sends her, um, he sends for her, he sleeps with her, and then he sends her home. But there is something that is not in his script. You see, we try to figure everything out and we have everything. We mapped it out. We have mind mapped this situation out. And David has done the same thing. But this next verse is not in his script because the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, Oh, I am pregnant. Those are loaded words right there. Loaded words. I am pregnant. This time, David is not the sender. He is the receiver of the note. 
He didn't count on this, but that's how it happens. Here's the point. Sin sets in motion spiritually destructive forces that you cannot control even when you think you are in control. Sin sets in motion spiritually destructive forces that you just can't control. Even though you have convinced yourself, I've got this, I am in control, I can handle this. I said there's four things. Here's number three. Sin can lead you to repentance or it can lead you to more sin. It can lead you to repentance or it can lead you to more sin. See, at this point, David could have fallen on his knees and said, God, I am sorry. I slipped up. I made a mistake. Help me to make this thing right. But David doesn't do that. When he discovers this problem, he goes into his mind map and he starts to provide a solution. And it was not a good solution, but it was his solution. He said, okay, uh, her husband is Uriah and he is in the army and um, I'll just call him in. So he goes and calls in Uriah and said, uh, and meets with David and And David asked him about how's Joab doing and and how's the soldiers doing and how's the war going? That's verse 7. And then David said, hey, I want you to go down to your house and I want you to wash your feet. Now, that's an interesting word, right? That's a euphemism that they used in those days to say, hey, go home and sleep with your wife. You've been working hard. Go reconnect with her. But Uriah didn't do that. In Uriah's mind, he said, how can I go sleep with my wife when my fellow soldiers are on the battlefield risking their life for the country? I can't have this this visit over here to sleep with my wife. And so Uriah lay down at the palace and he slept outside the king's palace. The next day, David heard that Uriah didn't go home. And that frustrated him. That fresh, so he called Uriah back in, but this time he pulled out the wine bottles and he started loading him up with alcohol, thinking that alcohol will wear um, down his defenses because people make bad choices in those situations, oftentimes. And so, He got him drunk. But what happens? Uriah stays outside the palace because Uriah had a a higher sense of morality as a drunk man than David did as a sober man. And you look at this situation and you wonder how far is David willing to go? He's as willing, he's willing to go as far as he had to go. And so here's what he does. He said, okay. He sent a note to Joab, the leader. And he said, Joab, I want you uh, to put Uriah at the, the place of the battle where the war is the fiercest. 
And when he is there fighting the battle, I want you to pull the men backwards and let him be exposed. And that's what Joab did. And there uh, Uriah fell and, and was killed there. David is willing to commit murder to cover up his sin. You see, there's two consequences of sin. You can, uh, there's repentance, confession, and restitution, or there's cover-up and more sin. And David chose the cover-up and more sin. And he's got it about all covered up. Verse 27, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became him, his wife and bore him a son. Now, David has done it. He's gotten away with it. Nobody will ever know what what has taken place. And David thought that the great danger of his life was somebody finding out. But that's not the greatest danger. The greatest danger in your life and in David's life is that no one would find out. The greatest danger of hidden sin is that nobody finds out and that you go to your grave a respectable fraud. So David has more, one more crossroad. And this, cha- this chapter ends by introducing one more character has not been mentioned up until this time. Verse 27b, but this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, God is watching us. And we may try to cover up and we may try to hide. And you may hide things from your spouse. You may hide things from your teacher. You may hide things from your boss. But overall, God sees your life. And God saw what David had done here, and this displeased the Lord. David covered up with everybody except God. Here's the fourth and final one. At the end of the day, all of us are accountable to the Lord. We're accountable to God for our actions. At the end of the day, we're all accountable to God. We're going to give an account. We're going to stand before a holy God and we're going to give an account of our one and only life. We pick it up next chapter, chapter 12, verse one. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now the Lord is in the the process. The Lord is sending. He sent Nathan. Now who is Nathan? Nathan is the prophet. Nathan represents God. And when the prophet arrived, he told David about this story. He said, let me tell you about this story that's going on. He said, there's this wealthy man that had a whole lot of of sheep. And then there's this little poor little man that had one little lamb. And that wealthy man went down to that poor man's house and he took that little lamb away from him. And David heard the story and he was furious at that wealthy man taking that one little lamb from the poor guy. And he was fired up. Isn't it interesting how we can get so fired up about somebody else's sin? 
We hear what's going on. Oh, can you believe it? And we're all about talking about somebody else's sin because we are fired up about it. But yet when it comes to our own actions, it doesn't even faze us. And so Nathan tells that story to David and David was fired up. He said, I want you to get that man and put him to death. Then Nathan looked around and said, David, you are the man. You are the man that has taken that one little lamb when you had so many. Now, I would imagine at that moment in David's mind, he's thinking, okay, I've taken care of Uriah. I can take care of you too, Nathan. I am the king. I do have power. And in his mind, he said, I'll cover this up too. But it was at that moment, he said, yes, he chose to confess. He said, yes, I am the man. I have sinned against the Lord. And at that moment, David came clean. I tell you this story today because I believe there are people that are listening to me that you need to hear it. And today is your day to come clean. Today is your day to come clean before the Lord. To say, God, forgive me for my actions. It may not be in the scandalous category. It may be in the acceptable category in your mind. But I say to you, in either category, come clean before the Lord. Let this be the day that you say, I am not going to continue to live like I've been living with this secret looming over me. I'm not going to live in this prison of this guilt and this shame anymore. I want to be free. I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. That same miracle that God extended to David, he extends to us. That we can be forgiven, that we can be free, that we can be made whole. You say, how does it happen? You have to admit it. You have to admit it. Say, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. If you've never been saved today, I want to encourage you. In a few minutes, we're going to pray that prayer. And I just want you to be honest with the Lord. Say, come and save me. Make me the kind of person you'd have me to be. But there's some that are listening to me. That you once understood the, the joy and the peace of walking in the presence of the Lord. But for whatever reason, you have wandered off that path. And for whatever reason, you have backslidden. And today the Lord is telling you, come home. You don't need to live that far away. You need to come home. You need to come back. And if you'll come back, God will cleanse you and God will strengthen you and God will restore you. Everyone in this room struggles with something. And Jesus is here to help you in your struggles. Let's stand for a moment of reflection, a time of prayer. In a few minutes, we're going to pray. 
And for those of you that are going to make a decision to follow Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that prayer, but I want you to fill out a connect card and just put a cross on it. This is a, a way that we can help you take your next step. We can send some materials that will encourage you. And those that are watching online, send us an email. Uh, you can send it at, uh, to prayer at stephenscreekchurch.com. It'd be something as simple as that. But speaking of prayer, it's time. It's time to pray. What do you need God to do in your life? You ready? He's ready. Are you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. We sense your presence in this room from the beginning of the service and even to this point. I pray for the people that are watching online. I pray for the people that have never been saved, that this is the day that they're going to cross that line. This is the day they're going to pray that prayer. And if that's you, just say this. Say, Jesus, save me. Say that. Just say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. Receive that in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for those individuals that have wandered. They're living in a a backslidden condition. And as they come home today, I pray, God, that you would strengthen them, you would forgive them, and, God, you would restore them. I pray for this church, God. I pray for all of us because we do struggle. And our struggles come in different ways. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are physical. Some of them are psychological. I pray, God, that you would move upon this congregation that, God, you would give us the strength we need so that we can be the people you've called us to be. And we pray this in your strong name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. I appreciate you coming today. We'll continue the series on Games People Play next week. See you tonight, 6 p.m. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.